Hello and welcome to The Found Cause, where we found a cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a tiny little Michael man behind the machine, and to my virtual front is... Theodore Jansen, the... Oh, goodness, what was I? <laughs> under the, the PC. Theodore, Theodore Jansen, under the PC, a.k.a. Person of Christ. And then my other virtual guest is, of course, our co-host... Yeah, Sebastian, the bookkeeper. We are tiny today because today is a reaction video. I want to make it plain and jump right into things. This is a famous YouTuber in the Christian space. His name is Cameron Bertuzzi. I don't know how to say his, his um, Italian origin last Bertuzzi. name. Bertuzzi. Thank Bertuzzi. you. Uh, he is from Capturing Christianity. That is his channel. Uh, it's made some waves, uh, certainly more than we have. So we want to give him props for being an influential Christian. But of course, with great power comes great responsibility, as the Bible says. Just kidding, that's Spider-Man. So we're going to jump into <laughs> this reaction to a preparation that he and one of his friends, uh, channel friends, a guy from Pints with Aquinas, his name is Matt Fred, who's a Catholic, and they are preparing to have a friendly debate about um, whether or not praying to saints is righteous or not. So this is not the actual debate itself. They will touch on the debate. Um, but this episode is more of a reaction to the attitude that both of them have. We will touch on the debate topics at hand. But if you want a more in-depth debate, this video does go like 30 minutes longer. If you go to Matt Frad's channel, if you go to uh, Pints with Aquinas, he has this as a longer version. But we just wanted to take the prep because, again, we've responded to these kind of Catholic claims before about praying to saints, about the Eucharist, which comes up in this episode too. But... Uh, we want to show the attitude that's being held by both parties, especially Cameron on the Caption Christianity side and why we disagree with it. So without further ado, let's let him begin. And we're starting midway through because there's a lot of um, filler here. Is just to help, especially your viewers who would be, belong to some Protestant communion, I, I would like to help them see why the intercession of the saints is more reasonable than they may have supposed. You know, like I'm setting the bar pretty low for myself. <laughs> like I, I don't want to, I understand that I may not be able to convince people, but if I can just show, if, if, if at the end of the debate, they can say, well, Matt's still wrong, but I see how he gets there. And that's mm -hmm. actually more reasonable than I thought that I'd be happy with that. So one thing that I'll say that. And I, I, I want to point out here to the position that Matt Fratt often takes in these kind of conversations with Cameron, because he's done multiple of these, just for the record, this is not the only one, is that he, he holds, and I think I'll say it in this episode, that you have to hold to many, many doctrines, many, many dogmas, as we all know, as a Catholic, right? He has to hold to rejection of Sola Scriptura. He has to hold to veneration of the saints and praying to the saints. He has to hold to the Assumption of Mary, whatever. Um, but Protestants can hold to any of those if they want. You know, if they want to bring in a little idolatry and a little crap from the Catholic Church, they can. Um, so he's trying to convince you that it's possible that those things are Christian. And therefore, I mean, I think his, his stated goal, though he doesn't say it all the time, is to make Catholicism look less and less foreign and more and more fellow Christians. That, oh yeah, some Christians believe that Mary was raised to heaven and some Christians don't. Whereas I would say um, only Catholics believe that she was assumed to heaven. If you believe that Mary was assumed to heaven, um, you're crazy. That's a tradition you should drop immediately, right? It's not a gospel issue on that one, but it is a, a foolish one. This one involves what we would call idolatry, praying to saints. And so he would like you to say that some Christians do idolatry and some don't. Kind of like some Christians endorse homosexuality and some don't, but one of them is absolutely in the wrong. So it's not something that should be shared in between. It's not a, uh, a no consequence issue, like whether or not the drapes are red or not would be. It's sort of moved me closer to Catholicism. I've even made a post about this where it's like, yeah, when I started my journey in, in looking deeply into Catholicism, not just like at a cursory level where you're hearing from some Sunday school pastor that, oh, Catholicism is bad and it's it's all about works and blah, blah, blah. Like once you start to look at it on a very deep intellectual level and the sort of foundations of it and everything, I've discovered that, you know, they've been thinking, just like with Christianity more generally, people have been thinking about these issues. So any objection that you've got to Catholicism has probably been thought about and dealt with in various ways. Maybe Now, 
whether it's been dealt with is a separate question from whether or not the way that it's been it's dealt with is like yeah. sufficient way that it's been dealt with. The, the point though is that these objections that you have probably has someone who's responded to them in some way. And it's, so it's a very intellectual tradition. And I, that's, that's something that sort of moved me toward Catholicism because it's been so thought out. Uh, I suppose I'll give them that, right? That, that you should always listen to your opponents refutations of your points right before you declare yourself the intellectual vic victor now i do think that even without being a crazy apologist that a regular old christian grandma or whoever um, is able to see the flaws even if they can't articulate them with the catholic position um, but granted i think you should hear out your opponent's refutations of you before you again declare yourself the intellectual victor i don't think you need to be the intellectual victor to be the victor in a debate but again i think that's fair if you want to claim the intellectual high ground that you do have to listen to your opponent's side we'll keep moving on in you know by various different thinkers and not just these aren't just like joe schmoes these are some of the most intelligent people that have existed like thomas aquinas i mean your, your channel is all about thomas aquinas and he was obviously yeah. if you like you you read any of his work or if you even if you don't read his work directly you get it sort of secondarily secondarily se mm -hmm. se is that the you, yeah. you get it through someone like matt frad yeah or if you get through if you get it from someone like matt frad you're still going to, to see that these guys were extremely intelligent they were very thoughtful they had thought about objections to their views and they dealt with them in the best the, the, the way that they could anyways the point is that catholicism uh, just like I, I believe that Christianity more broadly is if you think that Christianity is more broad than Catholicism. <laughs> just going to keep pointing out, uh, Cameron clearly is already on the side that Catholics are fellow Christians. That's why he's able to have these conversations with Matt Fred with such a happy demeanor because Matt Fred is trying to accomplish a goal of showing that Catholics are fellow Christians. Please come back into the fold. And Cameron's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's only the, the fundies that point out the Catholics are uh, separate and, and evil and wicked. Uh, we would like to point out, because it won't come a greater point in this episode to say this, that the Catholic Church has a false gospel. And I don't know, if Sebastian or Theater, if you have any comments on that, but we've talked many times at length in this podcast on why Catholics have a different gospel. Fundamentally, it isn't just their veneration of saints or their other weird traditions. It's a fundamental denial of the gospel. For they present a different gospel because they require part of the Eucharist. You partake in the Eucharist and... In a way, you are receiving your salvation in that unbloody sacrifice. So, very different picture that what you get straight from the New Testament. Yes, and so fundamentally, the Eucharist is more tied to their denial of the gospel, but it is works-based. Now, Catholics say, "Well, we don't believe that you're saved. Um, we believe that you're saved by grace." You know, it has to be the grace of God, which you guys agree with too. Just like they would say, "We believe the same Jesus. We believe in the Trinity," but that's kind of a a non a non-point because yes you agree with some of our stuff but you actually deny some of the core of the gospel which is not only that there's a triune god not only that man has sinned not only that you need god's grace to be saved but that you are only saved by god's blood and they say well you definitely need jesus's blood right which is a different position and that's where they deny the gospel because they say jesus's blood is actually not sufficient to cover your sins it's enough to get you into purgatory perhaps unless you have a mortal sin of course but that otherwise it is not a full payment of your sin and therefore you need additional works you need additional eucharist you need baptism you need um all sorts of things right indulgences whatever you might need to cover sin that christ's payment is not enough um which really truly if it's not enough it's a denial of the character of god and what he abhors is sin it's a denial of the full payment of christ it is a false gospel and they say as much in their own stuff they say in the council of trent which is a response to protestantism and they still hold to today they say that anybody who believes in salvation by faith alone is anathema is no longer in the church so i want to point out again the catholic church is historically and today um not willing to reconcile with other churches and say that their fellow um they're they're also saved now often they 
act like they do, but officially they have not. So the Pope today might go around like high five in Eastern Orthodox and high five in Charismatics, as we've talked about in previous episodes. But um, technically, the Catholic Church is way more exclusive than the Protestant Church. Um, so I hand down on the Catholics trying to, to act like the good guys in this situation. They're equally as exclusive as the fundy preacher who says that Catholics are evil. Any other comments on that whole concept? So it is a false gospel. So the fact that Cameron is being so conciliatory to the Catholic opponent here um, as a friend, I understand he's friends, but he's actually leading unknowing Christians astray and letting them hear uh, a false gospel presented as if it's just another branch of Christianity. If you had a Mormon on the podcast, you wouldn't just concede, oh yeah, I never really thought about those points before. I'm glad that we brothers in Christ can just agree to disagree respectfully. You might agree with many things that the Mormon has to say about his positions on morality or his positions that Jesus Christ is God. He'd be like, well, I believe Jesus Christ is God. Yeah, but it means something completely different to the Mormon than it does to you. And it's not a saving gospel. It's a different God. So the same thing for the Catholic. And I think it's crucial to understand that these are not lighthearted conversations as much as they make them. They are serious. And as with uh, somebody who doesn't have the gospel. Precisely. So it's always wise to keep, you know, at level head and understand that we're in different playing fields. We can still be respectful to one another, but understand that we're not on the same boat. Yeah, we'll let him keep going. Uh, it's a very intellectual tradition. And so any of these questions, like uh, prayers to the saints, there's been a lot that's been talked about and written about, and there's ways that they've been defended in Catholic doctrine and teaching. And so it's like, I guess the point that I want to make, that I'm trying to make here, is that before you think that you've got some little objection to Catholicism, oh, and this just takes care of the whole thing, probably you're being naive. Probably you need to look deeper into it and deal with the actual defenses that people have raised against them. And then at that point, once you've done that and you've looked deeply into it, at that point is when you can say, okay, yes, these are the responses to my objections, but for these reasons, I don't think that they work. That is the intellectually responsible position. Uh, but just saying that, okay, obviously praying to the saints is wrong. It's not in the Bible. Like that's, that's a very naive, in my view, that's a very naive I think it's obviously wrong to even the grandmas out there. So I do think it is a proper instinctual response. You can go into the depth and, and, and figure out all their defenses. But just like obviously Mormonism is wrong when it says there are millions of gods and that God is just one of them and you can become God one day. Obviously to anybody who knows the Bible and has a spirit in them, that is a wrong position. However, they'll come up with all sorts of weird positions using the Bible to try to defend it. Um, of course, they're total proof texts that don't actually prove anything they're taking out of context um so you can go intellectually deep with them and again i agree you have to deal with your opponent's positions if you're going to intellectually debate with somebody but i don't think the instinctual position that that's wrong that worshiping saints is wrong is uh is far from the truth position i talked for a while so why don't you talk oh that's fine and i would say to protestants who are kind of afraid of adopting certain catholic practices and beliefs that catholicism can still be fundamentally flawed and hold true beliefs that you can adopt without becoming Catholic, you know? Uh, so C.S. Lewis seems to have believed in purgatory. He seemed to be open in principle to praying to the saints and things like this. And the weakness of the Anglicans. And, um, you know, Protestants don't have to be afraid that if their reading of the scripture uh, and maybe reading of the early church fathers leads them to a particular interpretation of, of a biblical text, they don't have to be afraid that that's going to lead them directly to Catholicism. Now, obviously, I want that, but you don't, it doesn't, you, don't, you know, you can adopt certain of these teachings without having to become Catholic. So in a, in a way, like you can, we can lower our guard a little here, I think. <laughs> yeah i already said that i already spoke about it but yeah there there it is lower your guard please yeah all right well, let's the, talk the the, the the bars are much higher for me i can't uh do away with the intercession of the saints i cannot um accept sola scriptura and these sorts of things and remain catholic but as a protestant you know you can still protest against catholicism while agreeing with certain beliefs and then finally i would say i think it's true that catholics are often misrepresented 
and caricatured. And I think um, Christians more broadly understand what that's like when an atheist does it. And it's really kind of, it's it's like, it's upsetting <laughs> because you think that's not what I believe. It doesn't even seem like you've ever asked a Christian what they think about these things, you know? Uh, and I think that leads Protestants to be more sympathetic to the Catholic. It's like, okay, just you tell me then. I, I won't read my Protestant apologist for a second. I'll, I'll actually ask you, I'll go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I'll, I'll see what you've said before disagreeing or agreeing. And, I, and uh, I, I agree with this position in that you don't want to character your opponent. You don't want to just make a fake position that they don't actually hold to and then destroy that. It's called straw manning. If you're familiar with debate, we don't want to straw man. Um, of course, everybody does it from, from every side. Catholic apologists often straw man. Protestant uh, apologists often straw man, especially the, the lower down you get. People that aren't experienced in debate often do that because it's a very easy way of explaining something and without having to um, have a lot of nuance, right? So I understand the, the want to straw man and we should avoid it. I'm in agreement there. I do want to comment, Michael, though, before we go on. Mm -hmm. We're not a protest. I, I don't know. I always I always get you know squeamish when people say that because Protestants are not protesting. The word that Mr. Luther would have wanted for us to have is evangelical. In German, I forget the I forget the exact word, but then Protestant is something that came much later when the German princes were they were the ones protesting against the Catholic majority in the Holy Roman Empire. So yeah, it's not, actually non-religious it related. Yeah, it comes down to a law that they were protesting that made uh, Catholicism versus Reformed theology versus the 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 Reformation of the Church, um, the official religion of the Roman Empire. They were protesting against that. So to say that they're protesting against Catholicism is uh, a misnomer. Um, okay, I guess a character in and of itself. Um, we're not just um, contrarians. We had the the true belief and the Catholic belief had veered off from true Christianity at that moment. So we protested the law that made it official. Um, Catholic religion was the official doctrine of the Roman Empire. But in any case, um, yes, that's a caricature in and of itself. And I think another theme of Catholic things, and you'll hear um, Pines of Aquinas guy, Matt, here saying the same thing, that is that the Roman Catholic Church has such a deep tradition, and that going back to history, you know, you just learn more, and then Thomas Aquinas is brilliant. I don't know what the love affair with Thomas Aquinas is. He's like any other theologian, um, that, and he has got a ton of faults for his time, too. And then... Um, that the Catholic tradition is just simply the, for the learned and those historians. Uh, meanwhile, any, any, any real historians, non-Catholic historians, will tell you that Catholic history is doctored. It's straight doctored. Of course, they went back into history to justify themselves, usually in the Middle Ages, um, as opposed to before then, to doctor um, things about papal supremacy, to literally doctor, like put in fake fake things that defended um, papal supremacy. Uh, equally, they point to church fathers saying, like, the word Mary, the name Mary, and then they're like, see, look, uh, believed in that Mary was basically second to God, and they don't believe anything like that. They import the doctrine into early church fathers all the time. So you'll see some bold claims, even in, in this short episode with um with matt that should be refuted it's a classic catholic thing to do i think yeah yeah that's really good so on the topic of uh, of praying to saints there are some things in my study that i've come across which we will discuss tomorrow uh but i wanted to bring one of them up and we're not going to debate it at all today but just so okay. you guys can get a sort of taste of uh what we'll be doing tomorrow so there's a, a passage in deuteronomy that seems on the surface at least and we'll talk about tomorrow tomorrow uh, more about this seems to conflict with the catholic teaching of praying to saints so here it is it's in deuteronomy versus uh it's in chapter 18 verses 10 through 12 i'm just going to read them out i don't have them on the screen here uh but so here it is there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, here's the important part, or one who inquires from the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So I want to point out 
This is a terrible, weak attack on Veneration of the Saints. This is not get to the core issue. It's dumb. I don't know who chose this verse for him. I feel like a fundy preacher who didn't know any better chose this one for him. Again, not just an attack on Cameron. He's got a big following, so it is kind of an attack on Cameron. He's got higher responsibility than normal. Um, but I would imagine he's very much like other simple Protestants that haven't, that haven't dealt with this. But the key issue is Veneration of the Saints, the people that they're praying to the Saints, is not that you can't speak to the dead, although you shouldn't speak to the dead. Um, the real problem here is not uh, divination, because that's not really what the Catholics are claiming to do. They're not claiming, I mean, some. So you can you can attack like Mexican Catholics or weird spiritual Catholics in Europe that would say that Mary or one of the saints is talking back to them. Um, but that's pretty fringe anyways. The 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 wide accepted and, and done tradition is just praying to the saints, expecting no response uh, except for answered prayers. And that is the key problem here, not the warning against divination. So the divination one, the Catholic would obviously say, well, we're not divining. We're just asking another um, fellow saint who happens to be dead for prayer. We're not expecting to hear back from them, um, period. And that's that's their response to it. Uh, it, it disregards Catholics who do uh, seek to hear response from the dead, especially in the, the South American tradition, which, just a side note, very embarrassing that the Catholic Church considers itself to be one bold church, and they've got a gigantic, heretical, evil, viciously pagan sector all in South America, and they're like, <laughs> same thing, we're all one church. Meanwhile, we can't get control of any of our churches in South America who are like, committing rampant idolatry if if the southern baptist convention had some like sector you know like the alabama and southern baptist convention was like um grooming their daughters or, or, or doing the same pagan things right the southern baptist convention would be like no we're either going to cut you off or um stop doing that or we'll cut you off right but the roman catholic church is like sounds good to me they wouldn't put up with that and maybe like you know germany but they're going to let them do it in south america so it's really not one church it's like a bunch of regional churches that happen to pay dues to the pope in any case i digress uh, the main problem here is veneration of the saints, and you have words to speak on this, Sebastian. I certainly do, yes. You should just see, even it's easier to look these things up in Spanish, but you can look them up in YouTube. A lot of people record festivals to saints and whatnot, which are just a fill-in for old local deities that were there in either Mexico or Peru or other South American countries, and if you see the outfits that people wear, they actually look demonic. Again, you don't have to you don't have to just take my word on it. I'm asking you to like, look up for some festival celebrating saints in South America, see how they parade the statues and images and whatnot. And you tell me if that's the same as Catholics in the US. Mm -hmm. On the same note, if you go to some universities in the US that are supposedly Catholic, some people there, they might say the Bible, or you mean that book of nice stories that someone made up a long time ago? Uh -huh. So again, a very diverse group. So yes. if you're going to say that there's, what, what 10,000, 30,000 Protestant denominations, which include Buddhists for Jesus, a very solid, just kidding, Protestants. Uh -huh. Yeah, so again, you have to be consistent and say uh, there, there's also variations in Catholicism. We can go over that in the past of how all the controversies in the Middle Ages during the Reformation and whatnot, but it's not one gigantic block of people believe the same thing. It hasn't been the same. That's just silly to say. And, and throughout these kind of debates, because uh, there's others, of course, uh, all over the place, as Cameron was even saying, this debate has been run for many years. It's not the first time it's ever been picked up, um, but there should just be flashes of images of, of them going, 
it's not it's not worshiping the saints and then flashes of images of them <laughs> doing the thing that's not worshiping the saints of them like bowing down lighting candles huge massive pictures of the saints and then kissing them and praying fervently and crying and weeping as the saints pictures go through it, embarrassing embarrassing again that they would intellectually say oh it's not worship it's something else and this comes down to the we talked about this before but the difference between um two latin words it, that the the catholics traditionally used to say that we don't um latria uh, a catholic word or latin word the catholics use for worship we don't latria the saints who are forbidden to latria to worship other things but god we dulia we serve we venerate the saints dulia is the other latin word well, sebastian i think you have a couple quotes on this one to show that the word uh latin latria and dulia in the greek in the original greek are um interchangeable for the same the same action yes unfortunately for the eastern orthodox and the roman catholics latria and dulia are interchangeable and they are constantly applied to god or idols like baal Mm -hmm. uh, ashtaroth you know all the all the canaanite gods and whatnot so I do have a f- couple of citations here. Me, let's start. Let's start with you, Theodore. Do you have Deuteronomy six thirteen queued up? Yes. Could you read that, please? Yes. It is the Lord your God you shall fear; Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Interesting translation. But I like it. It still says the word I was looking for, serve. That's actually latreo in latria in Greek. If you read the Septuagint, the Old Testament in Greek, it uses latria. There's another one in, in another word that's the, orth- the Eastern Orthodox uses too, but has the same sense as yeah, proskunesis, which is to prostrate yourself. So you say how you venerate someone. The problem with that is Multiple times, it gets addressed to God only, and it gets called out. Michael, could you read Revelation 19.10? Yeah, and for context, Revelation, so John is having a vision up in heaven. He bows down to an angel. Here's Revelation 19.10. Then I fell at his feet to worship him in English. Proskineo in, in Greek. I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And again, the word worship there, worship God, is proskuneo, or the transliterated version of that. Yes, exactly. So when it says he bowed down in reverence to the angel, it's proskuneo, which is, and then the angel says, no, 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 do not do that. Again, implying that it's only to God. Mm-hmm. Judges 10 Six, I add that here, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, served veils and the Ashtoreths and the gods. And it goes on listing all the others. all the other, And they no longer serve the Lord. They forsook God and not serve the Lord. What is that? That's dulia. Again, you're serving the idols. You cannot serve something and not worship it. And that's pretty much the point that you're getting over and over again with these quotes. And there's one in which both Latria and Proscunesis are used in Judges 2. And I'll just read that and I think I'll, we can leave it at that for the moment. Let's see, Judges 2. And they forsook the Lord of their fathers, brought them out of Egypt, and walked after other gods of the gods of the nations around them. They worshipped them, and they provoked the Lord 
and Forsaken and Surd, Bale, and Astartes. So first it starts with Latin, and then it jumps down to Roscunesis. So in one verse, you have both words used, not towards some, you know, in reverence to some nice old man, you know, you're showing to that. No, both are used towards God, which should lead us then. We probably shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be doing these things that you say to Mary, like hyperdulia, because it, we should only do it to God, because it was called out in the Old and in the New Testament. Peter also calls out Cornelius in Acts 10, says, do not bow down to me, you know, veneration, do not venerate me. I'm just a man. He says, don't do that. So, I mean, what else do you want? The Peter, he's he, he's, the, he's the first pope. Like the first pope is telling yeah. you, do not do that. Oh, gosh. So painful. Painful. And again, fundamentally, this is not the problem with the Catholic Church. It is just a one that we would say is idolatry and is a problem, just like we'd point out to other fellow churches. Unlike the Catholic Church, we'd point out to like Methodist churches that affirm homosexuality. That is evil. Anti the Bible, you should stop it immediately. So the same thing with do it. And if they were a fellow church in my denomination, we'd be voting to excommunicate them and their elders. Um, of course, the Catholic Church won't do that to their dissident churches uh, abroad. And um, we would excommunicate the Catholic Church if they were churches in ours that were doing hyperdulia. The Catholic Church, of course, testifies and defends the, the dulia, the worship of saints. So it is not service. And to say, again, the word, I, I serve Baal, I serve God, we understand what that means, right? And when he says, don't serve other gods, we understand what that means. Did it say, you you're actually serving your fellow brother in Christ, just like Christ commands you to be servants. You know, the least among you um, will be the greatest among you. You must be a servant to be the first. Um, we're just serving our saints by lighting candles to them and putting a big painting of them and then praying that they give us things. And they say, oh, but we're called to pray for one another once again. So we have to ask, or it'd be great to ask those closer to God um, that he inquire of them for us as well. Because we ask our brothers in Christ to pray for us too. So shouldn't we ask, you know, Mary and St. Anthony and whoever else to pray. And again, you are imploring of them with candles and whatever else. Um, that would be straight up worship. There's no denying that. And even if you're just praying to them without the candles, without any of the, the crazy idolatry imagery wise, um, to inquire of the dead like that, I think would be invoking the Deuteronomy verse. But again, I think the central core thing here is the worship that comes with it, not just the asking. Um, and, one, and and really the question is, we go to fellow brothers in Christ for immediate, the, the reciprocity, the back and forth, knowing that somebody knows about my issue and cares for me and is praying to God as well, right? So the call isn't just like the superpowers of prayer. It's really a brotherhood, right? Come and hear my issue. We're going to implore and, and ask of the Lord together here on earth while we're physically here to encourage each other and to see the fruits and to gain. The, the man or woman in heaven that you're praying to, asking to pray for you, is... Um, First of all, I don't think can hear you. Second of all, uh, isn't there to, to help you out or learn or grow themselves. So the whole point of asking somebody else to pray is defeated when you ask a saint. It's um, hyperdulia and evil idolatry at its worst. And uh, it's just um, inquiring of the dead at the least, which both are worthy of death, if you remember from the Old Testament law. So not a easy position to be in. And also, you know, I know we've beaten, we've beaten up the point to to Paul probably uh, by now, but but if you're saying that you're just wanting them to intercede for you to God, well, we don't really have a that you can, that a person cannot intercede. A human cannot intercede the same way that Christ can. You the uh, the times that it is used for Christ as our intercessor is him being a high priest in the book of Hebrews. So 
if you're asking God for to to if you're asking a saint to deliver a message for forgiveness of a sin or you're having not really appropriate because that should be going straight to Jesus. He is our intercessor for trespasses, sin, or guilt to the Father as it says in Hebrews as he is the priest. Yep. There is no other intercessor. Sorry, your priest isn't an intercessor, your brother isn't an intercessor, and none of the saints are intercessor, only Jesus Christ. What were you gonna say, Theodore? Yeah. Uh scripture just says this is in James, it says, uh, ask the elders to pray over you. Um, and then also it says, pray for one another um, and pray for the saints, a.k.a. those who are alive mm -hmm. at the time who are Christians. Um, so it gives all these verses about prayer, but not one about praying to those who have fallen asleep already. Um, and surely and then, we know they were martyrs and they talked about them and obviously they venerate Theodore, uh, Theodore, Stephen's actions as a martyr, right? So the fact uh -huh. that they knew of martyrs, they were respectful of martyrs, they appreciated the work of martyrs, and James, does, and this is well into the Christian um, ministry now. He's probably 30 years into uh, the past the death of Christ at that point, so the church is well established in Jerusalem, and he says nothing about praying asking the saints that are dead for prayer or praying for them or anything like that is um, indicative that it was not a practice at the time. Right. And then uh, one other point I had was uh, you guys were mentioned, mentioning stuff about going through uh, to the saints or through the saints to Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, but I think one of the huge points of scriptures is uh, like, saints can draw us to them or like there's a thousand ten thousand saints i think that the catholic church has designated so you can really get disconnected and disengaged and really separated amongst all those and attracted to all those instead of uh, drawing close to god and god will draw close near to you as the bible says um but the purpose of scripture also is to show how approachable our God is um, like second Peter cast all your anxieties on him, all your cares on him. Cause he cares for you. Um, and there, yeah, I was thinking there's no prayer that should not be able uh, to be said directly to God. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And scripture says like, we call out to God as Abba or uh, what is that? It's the equivalent dad of dad, daddy, yeah. something like that. Papa, mm -hmm. right? So it's God is approachable. God wants you to come to Him. Um, yeah. Yes, and that's an important distinction because um, we don't go in life. We don't go to our living brothers and say, "Pray for me," because I'm afraid of God. Like I'm afraid that I can't pray to Him, so you pray instead of me. Uh, weak. Christians and non-Christians do that. We as mature Christians should not be in the practice of having somebody intercede for us. They can't. They can pray for us, but it's not actually intercessory prayer. They aren't praying. They are praying on our behalf, but it doesn't count as our prayer. So equally, um, and it doesn't hold sway over God in a way that um, is different than our own prayers. So the, the benefit of, of asking a brother to pray is the simple practicalness of having another person that knows about your difficulty and is praying for you. It doesn't add power to the prayer. The only thing we know from the Bible is that if two or more are gathered together, it's heard by um, 
that Christ is there among them. If you're praying to Christ, of course, he's also there among you because you're talking to him. So the thought that you would um, not be able to get to Christ except through an intercessor is foolish. And the thought that there would be things that Christ doesn't want to hear about or something like that and you should go through a lesser magistrate is also foolishness, paganism, whatever. It's all an excuse and a smokescreen for the Catholic Church allowing paganism and idolatry to remain inside the Catholic Church from eons past when they used to have different pagan goddesses and gods. That's that's it. I think we all know. Additionally, um, like if you're scared of God per se, or if someone tries to use that excuse, the Bible is filled with language like God is near mm-hmm. the meek, the contrite of heart, the humble. Um, so obviously, again, there's no fear there. There is no fear in love. Yeah, no, there's a holy fear of God, but it's not one that doesn't approach right. him, right? It's one that, that boldly approaches him because of the blood of Christ. All right, well, let him keep going because we're ranting. Right. So this verse, at least on the face of it, seems to conflict with the just as a reminder, that's the Deuteronomy verse, Catholic doctrine yeah, of, of praying to the saints, and that is what well one one of the things that we'll discuss tomorrow. But Matt, does that verse does it sound at least on the surface to you? Does that sound like it conflicts with the, with the doctrine? Yeah, yeah, I can see why it would if I hadn't have thought of these things for a while. Absolutely, and I think, um, but as I say, it's hard. Right, I, I don't want to kind of just jump into this debate and respond. But needless to say, like. I guess I'll just say this without responding directly, which I'll do tomorrow. Like Christians from the earliest times have prayed to the saints and no one really saw it as an objectionable thing or um, said that it was equivalent to necromancy. It wasn't happening. That's why nobody objected to it. Uh, so that should cause us some pause. You know, surely the new, the, the earliest Christians were familiar with this passage and other passages in the Old Testament and yet didn't think these things were cool. Um, so yeah, that is, that is one I've, I've heard. Uh, and I'll respond to it more tomorrow. Here's yeah. another thing I'll bring up if you don't mind. And that's just that I think sometimes it helps to define terms. And, you know, like when a Catholic uses the word pray, he's using it to mean like it can mean a number of things. But when a Catholic uses the word pray, he usually means a sort of request between two persons. Um, and I think when a Protestant uses pray, he, he sometimes thinks it's synonymous with attributing divinity or worshiping. I think this point is, is a stupid one because, yeah, you could say pray and worship and pray is different even in English, right? Pray is asking, petitioning somebody for something and to worship is just straight worship, right? Um, we worship God. We also pray of God. We can pray of people, right? Please give me that thing. But to somebody who has no power, some saint in heaven, are we attributing them godly power? We know that humans have power, so you can pray of like the president and say, please, president, pardon my crime. Let me out of prison, Okay. You're begging them. I don't think there's anything idolatrous about that. Of course, ultimately, God's the one in control. So I guess if you're thinking the president has more control than God, it's a problem. But whatever, you know, you can ask people of things all the time. But the saint in heaven, you're attributing them some godly power that God himself has. We know only God has the ability to um, grant requests. He might grant it through somebody else. But if you're going to a person before you're going to God, that is the exact problem. So even if it's not worship, the petitioning of of saints is is the problem itself, as we've already beaten to death. Uh, and so if you think that praying is synonymous with worship, and somebody says, can you pray to the saints? I can see why Protestants would have a reaction to that. And they should have a reaction to that. Catholics don't worship saints. <laughs> um, they're not attributing divinity. Again, maybe some 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 <laughs> photo overlays of them absolutely worshiping and not petitioning anything. They're just like, oh, yeah. St. Anthony, Lady of Guadalupe, whatever, whoever it is, they're like, they're, they're not petitioning them for anything. They're just worshiping them. So they definitely worship. And they also petition, both of which are evil. The saints, when they, when they ask... Wait, before you go on, because you know, so... I do have personal testimony on this. In the church I used to go to, in, in Lima at least, there would be a statue of Mary. Well, a small one. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was marble. And then it would be decorated with flowers and holy water, of course. And then what, they would, what people would do is, you are done with Mass, 
then you surround the statue and then you present your prayers in front of the statue and then you either the feet of the statue or the hand of the because it's extending her hands out there and then then you leave then you're done if that's not bowing down praying in front of or worshiping i don't know what worshiping is then well the thing that is just so fundamentally flawed about their large organization is that the, the, his response and others responses internally even if they don't say externally might be well okay yeah the latin americans are dumb and they're doing stupid stuff and we should call that out but um that's not what we do here in american catholicism it's not what we do here in british australian whatever it's catholicism where they're like a hyper minority and have to compete with protestants all the time um okay but aren't you supposed isn't that one of your big pitches to joining catholicism being part of the same church like i can point to some crazies out in a church that i don't belong to in protestantism and say yeah that's evil they should be excommunicated i'm not in their church i can't excommunicate them i would tell you not to listen to those people but the catholic church is supposedly one big universal church they could be the pope could be excommunicating um basically the entirety of the latin church uh, in south america and say if you don't stop that we're gonna you know cut you off but he doesn't um just showing again fundamental cowardice that comes with a huge organization like that i don't uh, i'm not surprised that they're cowardly especially because they lack the spirit of god um but it's not right these these are kind of some things that'll be interesting to kind of um discuss as well because we want to kind of bring more light than heat you know so if at the end of our debate a protestant says all right i understand now what you mean you're still wrong but like thank you for clarifying this or that like i think that'll be a good way to kind of further the discussion let me switch gears a little bit and let's talk about uh one of the previous debates that we've done that has been your favorite which of our previous debates has been your favorite um one clearly sticks out in my mind when i think which which one the uh the eucharist all right do you want to tell me why oh um i really enjoyed looking into that one because i wasn't expecting to land where i was and thinking that the metaphorical view of these passages was the the more was the better interpretation but i i came down on that side of things and i wasn't really expecting to to come down there and and it was just really fun to uh to see how it all connects because the passage in john 6 uh is not actually part of the lord's supper which is what I would expect to find if that was like the main way that the Catholic teaching, or at least that, that it's not necessarily Catholic to believe in the uh, transubstantiation. But uh, it was interesting to see that John 6 is the one, one of the, the primary ways that that doctrine is defended. And it, it was just fun to, to learn a whole bunch of different new things. And then... I mean, we could talk Eucharist all day, so I don't want to get too distracted, but um, clearly their Eucharist debate also went um, terribly because... <laughs> He wasn't prepared to defend John 6, which is Jesus saying, if you don't eat and drink of me, you'll surely die, right? And telling people, whoever, and then the crowd leaves them, right? Because it's a detestable doctrine to them, um, which is plainly that it is a symbol also. I don't know what it means by metaphor. I'm assuming that it's some way of defending the fact that Christ's body is somehow spiritually connected to the bread and wine, which I disagree with. It's clearly a symbol. Also, eating and drinking is a metaphor, yes, but that doesn't give any excuse to saying that... um, metaphoric somehow the body of christ and blood of christ are the blood the the bread and water so again i don't know the outcome of that debate um but this is crucial he says you don't necessarily need to believe in transubstantiation to be a catholic um that's just straight false as part of their their doctrine in many like many iterated um councils and things i don't even want to say there but uh, it is principal to it's one of the many sacraments of the catholic church that allow for forgiveness of minor sins any other comments on the eucharist then It's, well, besides taking away from the full atonement of Jesus Christ, a main uh, an argument that Catholics use is that let's go then to the early sources, the early fathers, because they believe maybe we have believed this for thousands of years. That's what, that's what we hear over, over again. Well, I'll do you a better one. Let's go to the very beginning. I have the Didache. We've talked about the Didache before. It's a collection of 
teachings of how to do things for early Christians. Most people say it's from before the year 100, so it's very early on. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the section of the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, Eucharistia in Greek, there's no magical powers attributed to it or any set or any holiness attributed to it. It is a moment in which Christians gather in a house, an apartment or whatever, and share the meal together. So then first they raise their cup. We thank the Lord. There's no one that's there's nothing that says, This is this is your blood. And this is my body, my blood, as when the priest sanctifies the bread and the wine. And then when same with the bread, just give thanks for what you're giving us to Christ. And that's it. Then you eat it. You have communion together, pretty much sharing a meal. There's no from the early Christians, as Catholics like to go back to, there's no even no evidence in the Didache at all that they believe you actually turned it into the body and blood of Christ when you said the when you said the words during the sacrament. Yep, and equivalently, the the Corinthian church is called out for eating and drinking too much at at the Eucharist, and so Paul says like knock it off, like just bring the, the small sizes of things. So plainly, it was not a practice at that church that was eating and drinking too much to be venerating these things as the body, the actual body and blood of Christ, or being especially blessed in any way. It was just a meal they were sharing, which is the true um, accepted way the early church did the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving, as just simply a Thanksgiving for what Christ had done in memory as we ate and drank. We remember that we also metaphorically eat and drink of him. The meal we're eating is not him. So uh, Learning about yeah. your perspective was also... But I, I should pause, actually. This is the problem that I have, and this is the reason we're doing this episode. The, the fundamental things, yes, they're wrong. We disagree with the Catholic view of the Eucharist. We disagree with the Catholic view of the veneration of saints. Um, we also don't... We, we do not have a discussion like this with a non-Christian. And I guess the first point we would disagree with Cameron on is that he would consider this Catholic a Christian. We would not. Um, Catholics for generations also did not consider themselves Christians. They would say they're Catholics, which is different, trying to distinguish themselves from Protestants and whoever else. Um, but we would say they're not a Christian. It's a different faith. The Catholics believe that. I understand that they're getting soft these days trying to convert Protestants, but the Catholics do not hold as a church that fellow Protestants are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They say they're anathema by many credos. So unless they're going to revoke their credos, which I thought they were ex cathedra, you know, uh, properly said infallibly from the Pope himself and others in councils. Um, this, the Catholic technically, officially stands that the Protestant is lost. And this Protestant is like, maybe the Catholics aren't lost. I understand you can, um, that, that brothers can be wrong on things. And we disagree with other denominations that we believe are still saved. But this is a core issue. So to interact with something like the Eucharist and be like, I found that very interesting is, is such a dangerous position to take. Um, and a foolish one at that. So the fact that they're so high-minded, I understand they're not professional debaters, but this is, they're so into Thomas Aquinas and philosophy, but they are really just vainly uh, philosophizing about things um, foolishly is kind of embarrassing. And again, if you just go to the, the Fundy Preacher in Florida, you know, Central Florida, somehow has it more right than, than some man of learned prestige with the fancy glasses just like myself on the internet. I think it's, again, should be shameful and warning to our Protestant brothers and sisters out there. We should not engage with the Catholic Church like this. Really cool. And so it was just, it was really mind-opening and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I think about that debate on the Eucharist, it just absolutely galvanized my already belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Because I, I, I hadn't done a real deep dive into the biblical teachings about the Eucharist and what the entire uh, early Christian church held. Just going to say, it's not necessarily a judgment of how the debate went, because people can, can convert them however, but the 
just as proof, the conversation that Cameron had with his unbelieving Catholic friend was to solidify his Catholic friend's belief in a false doctrine that denies the gospel. Just shows you how I think ineffective these kind of conversations, the kind that he's having are. Debate is not ineffective. Depends on how God uses it, right? But this kind of happy, happy conversation is not the way to share. Uh, and so the more I looked into it, I, I, I became, I, I saw why, at least in this regard, why Cardinal John Henry Newman said to be deep in history is to cease to be a Protestant, uh, which I fully understand is an offensive thing oh to hear, but I, I think it's true. And we already addressed this, but it's false. It's Catholic doctor history all the time to, to be able to say that because I think it's such an own, but it's not. I mean, if you actually knew history, they just lie. It's just a straight lie. But as I look. Yeah, I know I can tell. And, and as, as I remember just being like, wow, this is this is incredible. Yeah. Like you sometimes, I mean, it's probably similar as a Christian, right? As as you get intelligent there, Theodore. I'm glad we're all intelligent here with our glasses. Yeah, I thought I had to get my glasses on too uh -huh. since everybody else is there. It is the way you're responding to an atheist and you have to do a deep dive into some particular arguments of God's existence and you realize, oh my goodness, this is actually really convincing. This isn't just the thing we say as a response to stave off the atheist. There's real meat to this. And that's kind of, that was my experience as we studied for the for debate on the Eucharist. So was the Eucharist your favorite or did you have a different one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, sorry to have the same favorite as you, but that, that's mine. Oh, it's okay. It was it was just so much fun, and and it was fun to think about. Uh, I had never really taken seriously like, what does it mean, what does transubstantiation mean, because I, I've grown up Protestant, and I, we never thought that you know there was this real body and blood of Christ when we were taking communion. And so I had, you, I had and, new, and, and, sorry, you go. I was just gonna say I have a new now I have a newfound appreciation for what that means, and when I when I go and and, and have a Catholic. What do you think Matt was about to say? Because. I think Matt might hold that he that the real body and blood of Christ never were there with Cameron <laughs> because there was no priest. Uh, but maybe he wasn't going to say that. But yeah, that would be my Catholic response. Like mass, which I've, I've done a few times. Um, I, it's just it, seeing what the the sort of reverence that happens, and you know, if this were true, it would just be so beautiful. And so I can see the the beauty. In yeah. It would be so beautiful if Christ had to be represented over and over and over again. If if it was true. A fundamental misunderstanding. He's been deceived. I fear for Cameron. Uh, it's, a, it's a bad place to be. And it's not just Cameron. Again, it's not just beating on Cameron. It's his category of person, the, the Protestant who is being deceived by the gentle words of a intentionally converting Catholic, a Catholic that's trying to convert fellow Protestants with gentle language, not revealing the giant skeletons in the closet of the Catholic Church that he'll give to them as soon as they're Catholic. He's being like, here's the skeletons, welcome to the team. Um, but he won't sell it to, tell them to the to the face of the Protestant he's talking to. The ceremony. And I, I have a new appreciation for that I didn't have before. Yeah, fair enough. Death to it. It's an evil practice. Um, it, this yeah, is your call. Yes, well, you want... Because this is more serious than what you would think, Michael. It's not just, and for a lovely audience as well, it's, it's not just, is Jesus really there? Maybe he's, he is, maybe he's not. It's not just about that. It's the matter that you are over and over calling again on an unbloody sacrifice in order to get a little bit more grace, a little bit more salvation, so to say, getting your booster shot as we established last time. Mm -hmm. That's actually a very appropriate way to put it, I think. I think everyone would agree on that one, and including Catholics. And also the priest, who is only one priest, as we all know, is taking the vows of an alter Christus in Latin, which means another Christ. That again should just raise a few, you know, red alarms, red flags, that there's another Christ, but there was just one Jesus. You're saying there's two, three, like how many hundreds of thousands of priests are out there in the world? How many hundreds of thousands of Jesus? No, there's only one Christ. So then this teaching is dangerous and it's not just a matter of, you know, disagreeing, is Jesus really there? No, no, no. There's more to it than that. There's some hooligans out there calling themselves another Christ and 
saying that they have the power and ability to summon Jesus from his throne in heaven down into the unbloody sacrifice that is the Eucharist. Well, and they'll attest, uh, oh, well, by other Christ, by Alter Christos, I mean, just like we're all supposed to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. It's just like a little Savior. We're not the big Savior. We're not Jesus Christ. We're another Christ, a little Christ. And we would say, uh, yeah, that's the problem. Um, you're not a little Savior. You're actually just a dude. Nobody is a Savior except for Jesus Christ. So the fact that you think you're saving a little bit and that Jesus Christ saves the big bit is the problem, is the denial of the gospel. I'm going to take some questions from the live chat. That maybe oh, can. Uh, how much time do you have? I, I could spend about 10, 15 minutes. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, let, let me just, as as questions are popular, if you have a question for Matt and I, Matt or I, in uh, in the next few minutes, leave it in the live chat. I'll try to, we'll try to get to some as we can. And while those questions are populating, just want to remind everyone that Matt... So we'll skip um, some of these sections because some of the questions are totally not relevant, but I'll skip to one that it kind of is. Um, okay, so here's, uh, uh, there's a question here, but I don't know if it's going to get into the meat of the debate. Well, let's just not do it. Let's no, the next question you're about to see is not the one on the screen, but the one that he's about to show. Um, you probably can't even see the questions. Actually, our faces are covering part of them. But um, the next question he says does not, it might not get to the meat of the debate. It's not getting okay. to it. I can answer it without getting into it if you can. What do you mean? I mean, I can, can, I, can it least, I, can, I can address it without going into it in, if you want. <laughs> okay, Acts 2, Pentecostal. Can you give me a passage in the Bible that tells us to pray to the ones that have passed on? It's not getting into the meat of the debate asking if the Bible ever talks on this topic. That's not really the meat. The meat would be, you know, touching our nipples and saying, I wonder what I think about this, what I feel about this. Uh, you know, okay, this is obviously the meat of the debate. I'm just poking fun. Okay, um, no. <laughs> I like the awkward pause because obviously the Catholic... There is no quotes in the Bible. They would, I, I suppose, I suppose they would go to um, Second Maccabees, right, with the random people um, praying for the dead and being it, it being ascribed to them as a just action of these pagans that are doing it. For the record, apostate people, apostate Jews, but Protestants, of course, don't hold the Second Maccabees being scripture. And even if you do, it's not, it's not, it's not veneration of the saints in that little tiny passage about these people praying for the dead who had just died. Um, that's more of like a purgatory intercessory prayer. So he's right. There's no biblical passage that says, and if there is none, that's why we hold the sola scriptura. The only belief that is uh, the only, the only source of infallible faith and practice is the scripture. There are other beliefs we have, sure, but they are not infallible and central to the faith. Whereas the Catholic Church has added on, the magisterium of the church has added on things that are supposedly dogma, central to the faith. If you do not believe them, you are lost. And they're not from scripture. That's, again, a fundamental evil of the Catholic Church. It's it's evil. So they say, oh, well, how do you know what's in the Bible? You know, there's a lot of things you have to do that aren't in scripture. You know, how do you, do you brush your teeth every morning? Like, that's not in scripture. So we're not sola scriptura because, you know, we have to live in the real world, blah, blah, blah. No, the only reason you're not sola scriptura is because you have a giant backlog of skeletons in your closet that the church has been saying for the last 2,000 years or whatever, or like really a thousand years because Catholic Church, as we know, it hasn't existed that long. And, uh, and that that's the reason they deny sola scriptura it's not we we protestants somehow operate day to day without um having to address the bible for everything we hold that the everything necessary for faith and practice is from the bible not elsewhere either okay. yeah we, we can discuss that if you want but uh, no, okay. no 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 that's it yeah okay good. But, but but i need to follow that up or else it's scandalous i think no yes oh um, it's not because then we can talk about it in our debate tomorrow <laughs> no i know but i don't want to lead people to <laughs> notice how I say yes. Oh, I was going to be harder oh here. And he's like, oh, gosh. no, no, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. I, I've seen the debate. They don't talk about it. It's really embarrassing. Okay, we be like, oh, that's a good point, Matt. Next question. Again, not just calling out Cameron. I don't think he's doing a very good job here, but he's unlike, he is like many other Protestants in this space. And so it's really just a call out to our fellow Protestants to not be like this. 
think that Catholicism is anti-biblical or something. So, so just two things. Fair Can you believe well, who thinks really Catholicism is anti-biblical? That'd be a problem. Brief. You know, the, the first is there are many things Christians believe that aren't explicitly stated in Scripture. It's true. So nowhere in the Bible do you have an injunction to pray to the Holy Spirit, nor do you see anybody praying directly to the Holy Spirit. Uh, that would be one example. It's true. We might not. We might. <laughs> we might implore that we shouldn't do that. I, I would be one that would say that's not the you know the spirit you can do that I don't think it's like blasphemous but it's not really the role of the spirit to be praying to him. Uh, you know there are there are other things we could go into as well that aren't but, but a Christian not wanting to fall into a sort of legalism, you know I think realizes that unless there's a specific kind of injunction not to that he has the freedom to if it makes sense. There is injunctions not to pray to others that aren't God, so. Yeah, there are injunctions not to. So the fact that he would even dare say that because the Bible doesn't say you need to, that you actually need to, it's teaching of the do it's, it's a doctrine and teaching of the Catholic Church to do this, right? So him saying that you don't, the Bible not telling us that you need to means that we can justify a belief that you need to is evil. And to say that you can, I agree with Christian liberty. There are many things in Scripture that doesn't talk about, and you do have the liberty to do smoke gamble whatever i believe that they're you're free to do them um all the all the sin parts of those notwithstanding so the sins against drunkenness and greediness i think you have to be careful with those when you gamble when you drink whenever you smoke or whatever um but uh in the same way the warnings against idolatry apply to not praying to saints and so i think something similar with the saints would be said there all right. All right. Here's a question from Ricardo, and this is for Matt. Question: Heard many times Matt say, "I would, I would love for y'all to come to Catholicism, but if he truly means, if he truly believes we both are in the same page, but with some differences, why try to convince people to Catholicism?" Yeah. So I think, and I'm not just saying this to soften the blow that's coming, but I really do think that there's much that Catholics can learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters. Um, the way y'all's devotion to Holy Scripture, for example, uh, the, the small groups that the Protestants so often talk about, you know, that they get into in their little churches and kind of foster each other's faith, um, their commitment to sort of social justice issues. Like there's much I think we can learn from Protestants. Maybe some things not to learn from Protestants there, but yeah. Uh, but I just think that while a Protestant Christians have, a, a, and Catholics share a lot of the same beliefs, I think Protestants are wrong about many things. And so I want them I want them to become Catholic because I think that Catholicism is the fullness of the truth that God wants for Christians. Goodness gracious, just say it. Oh my gosh, this is where you have to rip your fellow Catholics eyes out. Because if a Mormon was doing this garbage and a Mormon was on the other side saying, uh, well, the reason I'm trying to uh, the reason I'm trying uh, the reason I'm trying to convert you to Mormonism is because you're going to hell. Which I mean, Mormons have a different philosophy, right? But they they have essentially say that you're not going to go to the highest level of heaven if you're if you're not a true Mormon. That's why they're trying to convert you. That they don't actually believe that you're a fellow brother and sister in Christ. They believe that you're like little saved people because Mormons believe that everybody's saved. But they they actually believe you are wrong and won't be going to the real heaven, right? So in the same way, I would hope if he's a real Catholic, he believes that actually protestants are lost they're actually anathema they're actually cut off of the church and of course that's why he's trying to convert his fellows to uh, his religion but for some reason he's afraid to say that to a protestant channel to a protestant guy who won't fight him for you know salvation itself so i'm not surprised that he wouldn't come out and say that he doesn't believe protestants are saved that would have been a way bigger blow i don't believe catholics are saved you know like we don't have to be like lying about things here the president the catholic church officially says the catholics aren't saved and many protestant churches officially say the catholics aren't saved it's like we don't need to um putz around the issue right if you just read even from cyprian oh go ahead theater well i was gonna say uh isn't it like a pop uh catholic view of some or many these days also that like almost everybody's going to heaven yeah it's just that catholics have the fullness or the closeness and then maybe everything's just going to be sorted out in purgatory anyway. 
So yeah, that is a pop Catholic belief, but it goes against their official doctrine. So that's why I assu- that's what right. I assume he kind of holds to. The Matt Fraud is Catholic here, kind of holds to this universalist position, at least the Christian universalist position that other Christian sects um, go into purgatory. Um, however, that's not official Catholic teaching, so that's why I think he avoids saying that because many Catholics who believe in universalism also avoid saying that, including the current Pope, because they know it's actually explicitly contrary to Catholic doctrine. Which again, right. why it's straight up from gross. I hate that position that you'd be like, you know, it's contrary to your doctrine, but you believe it anyways. Okay. Yeah, it, they have cited over and over again from Cyprian, going back to the you know the, the novation, contrary and novation. I always get the you know the other, with the other one too. Ex ecclesiam nulla salus. Outside the church, there is no salvation. And guess who they attribute that to? The Roman Catholic Church. Yep. So, uh, and Theodore, I think, again, harp on the point, but the fundamental difference between the Protestants, uh, I should say Christians, Christians, real Christians and Catholics, because you can be non-Western European Protestant and still be a proper believing Christian, is um, this difference between works and grace and how you're saved. Because again, the Catholics believe you need more saving than just the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you have a quote from the Bible? And we've got, there's like many, and you probably heard this if you're a Catholic that has heard Protestants talk. There's many quotes about grace and faith, and you probably have some way to blow off all of them, but I don't know if you have any, uh, Theodore, just to wet the ballot. You want me to read three? Yeah, appreciate it. Okay, this is Romans 4. I'll just do one to five. Uh, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not as the result of works so that no one may boast and then second timothy 1 verse 9 um oh there's something before but god who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in christ jesus from all eternity or from before the ages began as another yeah, and, the, and the point and, of all those yeah. again i'm sure catholics have have responses to those if they've heard them before but the point of all those and i think plainly to the reader if you've heard them presented this way in the first time is that the mixing of the salvation method by which you're saved of your own works whether it's a sacrament or whatever and the grace of god is the denial of the gospel and that's why it's made clear in many passages of scripture you just saw three in entirely different um, places they're all from paul but they're all entirely different places um, is the point that it's a common christian theme is a common explanation of the gospel it is purely the grace of god not from you at all so the fact that catholics say well yeah of course you need christ you need his grace and his grace is purely his grace yet you didn't earn that grace that initial grace of course, you earned the sacraments. You earned when you did the Eucharist and when you repented and um, went into confessional and whatever else. We agree that repentance and some works are results of the gospel, but they are not the thing that saves you. And not even a little, right? They might be signs that you're saved, but they are not even a little responsible for any portion of your sins being forgiven. So that's the, the fundamental denial of the gospel. And that's why we quote those. And again, that's why the Catholic Church is not something to be like, 
Wee-hee. They're just like Methodists. They're just, you know, one of one of the boys um, that have a couple things wrong. You know, they should really stop wearing those funny hats. Um, they really shouldn't have killed people back in the 1500s. I couldn't give two patoots. You know, it's been a while. I agree. We killed a lot of people back in the day. That's not the problem. That's what they believe today. That's what I. That's what I think, and that's that's why. So it's not a matter of being like Catholicism is one hundred percent wrong. You're one hundred percent. Oh, sorry, one hundred percent right. You're one hundred percent wrong. It's rather I think Protestantism is like I don't know ninety percent correct, but I think there are things that they they should either abandon or accept in order to come into the church Christ established. Yep, that's once again. So he's claiming that the church, the Christ established, is not the Protestant church. The official Roman Catholic position is that yes, it's a false church if you're outside of the Catholic Church. Just when I made that clear, they you know it's not like we fired first on this one. Basically, the answer that I was I was expecting you to get, which seems to me to be completely sensible. Okay, uh, Joseph Green, do Catholics believe Protestants will go to hell? Ha-ha! Uh, Catholics believe that it's possible for Protestants to go to heaven and uh, and possible to go to hell. I think... Um, uh, Only through purgatory, by the way, if he even believes that. That's contrary to Catholic doctrine. Um, should be excommunicated for that kind of belief, but of course, like what? Probably 51, 55% of the current cardinals of the church are most likely universalists, including the Pope. So, of course, this kind of heresy is tolerated. You know, we, we talk in Catholic theology about the difference between sort of uh, uh, vin invincible ignorance as opposed to just ignorance. So someone can be ignorant about what God has revealed and not be culpable for that ignorance. And we've given, you know, in the past classical sort of examples, haven't we, about the, the, the girl who perhaps was raised in Nazi Germany and whose only experience of Christians were those of the Third Reich. And yeah, it's a bunch of book. Again, it's, a, it's against the decrees of the Catholic Church that you're anathema. If you're outside the Catholic Church, regardless of your invincible ignorance, you are still anathema. You're part from the church and you're going to hell. Again, the universalist sect of the Catholic Church has been pushing this, once again, highlighting the fact that the Catholic Church, as much as they talk about being in the universal church, is actually many competing factions um, with a similar goal. And she might think to herself, well, if that's what Jesus is, I want nothing to do with it. And you can see how theoretically this person was ignorant of, of what God had revealed, but she wasn't responsible for that ignorance and so has the possibility of salvation, right? And so I just say it's sort of likewise. Like, Of course, that concept, by the way, separate from the Catholic debate, because many Protestants believe that kind of garbage too, is directly refuted by many passages of scripture that we won't go into today. But universalism is something we have addressed in this podcast before if you want to check out our episodes there. If I, or if I think this, or if you, Cameron, or if Joseph rejects knowingly anything God has revealed, I think they won't be saved. Uh, so if, if if you have sort of enough evidence to know that when you when you deny that that you've sinned and that you deny that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation and you deny that God is creator as anybody who hasn't heard the gospel does naturally because we're all born into evil rebellious sin you you directly reject something God has revealed you are going to hell that Catholicism is true so come to Christ and, you and if you're hearing this come to Christ our call is to come to Christ it's not an elitist group where you have to have some social status or some some grand wisdom to Repent and turn. You can be the simplest among us. You can be the smartest among us. Whoever it is is humble before the throne of Christ. Come and receive his free gift uh, and sacrifice your whole life. Everything you do is for now God. If you do that and repent and turn away from your sins, you will receive every one of God's inheritance to you. Become a fellow heir and live your sins covered by Christ. And instead of your works being presented before God, it's Christ instead that you might live and the rest of your sins die. That's our call. Reject it as a Protestant. I think that you will probably go to hell. Um, but I think if I, as a Catholic, reject what God has revealed, and I know to be true, that there's also a possibility. You will probably go to hell if you reject doctrine that the Catholic Church says you definitely go to hell for. For me to go to hell as well. But Catholics certainly don't say all Protestants go to hell, all Catholics go to heaven. You're not really a Catholic. You're, like, you're not really a Christian if you don't, if you're not going to heaven. So, like, I understand. What I find I... kind of. Oh. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. I, I find it odd that um, he would say that, that many Catholics. Uh, won't go to heaven. The, the Catholics say that Catholics sometimes go to hell and that Protestants sometimes go to heaven because they aren't really Catholics. They're going to hell. And equally, I, often when I talk about Christians who 
who don't believe in Christianity or who are going to hell, I will quote, you know, they call themselves Christians, but they aren't actually Christians because they aren't. Christians are people that are saved. So the people that come up to Jesus in the end and say, Lord, Lord, look at all these demons we, we pushed out in your name and the miracles we did in your name. Those aren't Christians. They might be thinking they follow Christ, but I, they, I wouldn't consider those Christians um, because they, of course, are cast out. I was just thinking what I found kind of silly is that uh, Matt Frad is seemingly making uh, Cameron more culpable because he's giving him more Catholic knowledge yeah. and therefore uh, solidifying or making more probable his demise in hell. <laughs> At least that's probably what Matt Frad is believing. Yeah, which I think is part of the problem with universalism is that it's um, inherently non-evangelical. You know, it like wants to keep people in ignorance unless you know for sure, like they're going to be convinced. So it tries all these sneaky ways to convince you so that you don't end up um, like... Realizing that you're really being tricked into Catholicism, in any case, I think it's a it's a bad position all around for many reasons. Okay, here's a question from Colin Cormier. Okay, here's another kind of um, interesting one. So you can see the question here is if you can't read it, hey, there recently I've been struggling with bisexuality. Do you think you all can pray for me? I'm gonna skip to the part where they actually pray. Um, perfectly fine prayer. It's really just from Cameron, um, but I'll skip to their response to it. So yeah, uh, anything to add, Matt? No, that's good. I'm in. Okay. Right. In, in response in response to that question though like i would say like we have to be very careful not to identify ourselves with our attractions to things in a sense. by the way what he, his answer is going to be very strong i appreciate matt Fred's answer here just goes to show that as much as i disagree with the roman catholic church they obviously share some positions and this is where protestants get trapped into thinking that we can hold hands and, and sing kumbaya we can't i can appreciate his position and the response here that he has especially versus cameron's in a second but that doesn't mean that I'm a fellow brother in Christ. It just means we're in agreement on this issue. Sexual manner. You know, this is why the Catholic Church wouldn't refer to somebody as a gay person, but rather a person who experiences same-sex attraction. I think as soon as we are in the business of identifying ourselves with our sexual attractions, our lives are going to become pretty confusing pretty quickly. You know, like it, 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 I didn't cease being sexually attracted to women after I got married. Um, now, I've never been unfaithful to my wife, thank God, but suppose I were to commit adultery, that wouldn't make me, say, an adulterer sexual or something like that. Or if I did have attraction to men sexually, I wouldn't say, well, I'm, 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 I'm homosexual or, or that I, I'm gay. I would say, yeah, I experienced that same-sex attraction. I think, you know, our sexuality is, is confusing and complicated, and uh, maybe it shouldn't frighten us to the degree that it does when we find ourselves sexually attracted to different people. Now, I will say just a little bit of nuance. is a little woke, his response, and I will say this. I wouldn't call people that they're experiencing same-sex attraction, like maybe. But just like an adulterer becomes an adulterer when he does the act, right, or in his heart or physically, I think you could say that somebody is a homosexual because they've done the act or they've thought about it, right? However, we know that Christians in Christ are cleaned of their sins. And so technically, even if they just did it like two seconds ago, they're a former adulterer. Now, the charges might still be brought, right? Like you might still have earthly consequences, but the actual heavenly consequences are no longer yours. They've been taken to Christ. So that's why I would call former homosexuals, former adulterers, whatever. We're all, I think, any, any person is an adulterer at heart at least, right? That you've lusted after somebody you shouldn't have, at least a fornicator at heart, is... Um, that you're a former fornicator because you're now rebirthed in Christ. Don't submit to that old yoke of slavery. So I would say there are such things as homosexuals as opposed to people just experiencing same-sex attraction. However, I agree with them in that you don't want to identify with your sin. You should be trying to move past it. That's not mm -hmm. to say it's not a real issue that needs to, you know, this person might need help with and that, but... Yeah. One of, yeah. Something else that I wanted to, to touch on was obviously with, within uh, Christianity and the whole sexuality issue and bisexual and homosexual and, and, and everything. There's this question of what well, does does uh, does it conflict with Christian teaching? Is it is it wrong? Is it sinful? And uh, on the Catholic view, I think the uh, the answer is obvious. But what I want to to just sort of for a long as uh, I don't know 
how you want to put this, but as a sort of test that you can do on your own, is uh, any any action that you perform throughout the day, aside from the question of whether or not it's taught theologically or not, uh, here's something that you can you can do: is does what I'm doing right now bring me closer or further away from God? And that's a test that you can do with every single thing that you do. I mean, you can even uh, go as far as like writing everything down that you do in one day, and just write it. Does this does this bring me closer or further away from God? In a lot of cases, we're going to find that something is taking us further away from God, and then you need to start to be sus suspicious about that behavior. And so that's, I think that's a sort of personal test that you can do. If you're unsure whether or not this conflicts with theology, that is a it's sort of, you know, that's it's a question that you can look at, obviously. But this is another thing that you can do as a sort of personal thing uh, between you and God. And I think in a lot of cases, I mean, I, I'm saying this out of my own experience, is that I've, I've had uh, sins that were confusing to me. It's like, is this really a sin or is this not a sin? I don't really know. And so, but in a lot of these cases, if I'm honest with myself, this thing is not bringing me closer to God. And so it's just, I mean, and even Paul says, like, it's not beneficial, so why do it? So uh, anyways, that's just a, a sort of side thing that I wanted to, to mention there. I... I feel for Cameron when he gives this kind of answer because I understand where he's coming from. I think a couple of key assumptions that he's making here that are not correct and that is that if you're in the right frame of mind and you're walking with God, and then you ask that kind of question, the spirit might correct you. But any who does not have the spirit or any who's quenching the spirit will not have the right corrections. When they look, when they introspect and look in the heart, does this bring me close to God? The enemy and their flesh are going to say, yeah, uh-huh. And then they'll be deceived. So this is not a good way to correct you from serious sin. This is why if you're already walking with the Lord and you're having to determine, oh, am I like watching too much TV lately? Then the spirit might be able to correct you there, right? But if you're struggling with bisexuality, I guarantee you'll have gigantic forces of the enemy in your own flesh saying, uh-huh, this brings you closer to God, uh-huh. And there's a million different teachers out there that are pro-homosexuality, pro-bisexuality that will say, uh-huh, yeah, when I did this, it brought me closer to God. Like this is my full expression. So this is actually a dangerous, right. foolish teaching that he's um, promoting here. And we should go straight to the word instead of our own experiences on something that's hard. I, 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 he's speaking from personal experience, and I believe it, right, that he's corrected by the Spirit on some things. And I understand that as a fellow Christian who has also been corrected by the Spirit, but that's not, that's not the go-to way. I think it speaks to the problem I have with Inspiring Philosophy, another channel, with Capturing Christianity, in that they have a lot of in introspection types of things. Like, oh, does this seem true? Can I see the world and understand God without the Bible? And that's the problem that we we shouldn't be going out to find god without the bible now we might we might see god in his creation and things like that, that the bible attests to that we do but that shouldn't be our main focus if we want to know something definitively about god it has to come from the bible we can't know things definitively about god um, besides the general facts that he exists and he created things and that we sin and whatever else um, from nature from other observations outside of the bible so i don't think we should be making um, philosophical arguments from things that aren't rooted in scripture Okay. Uh, do you have any time for more, or because we've got a whole lot more that have come in, but we're, we've kind of yeah, I'm happy to take here. a couple more if you want. If you don't, we can wrap up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm scrolling. I would. Here. I would say, Cameron. I, I just want to push back a little on what you said there. Thank you. And I know he did this. I was watching before, but again, props to the Roman Catholic. Doesn't have the gospel. Make that clear. But he is responding the right way to that answer from Cameron. Yeah, that's, okay. yeah, that's it's, fine. It's bothering me. Um, Go for it. I, I, don't, I don't doubt that one can look into sort of one's heart and reflect upon one's own experience and, and decide that a certain action is leading him closer or further away from God. I think that is possible. I also think that the heart is a desperately wicked thing and who can understand it? And it's precisely so that we could know how to live, at least in part, that God revealed himself to us. And so I think the litmus test is never going to be my personal subjective experience, but God's word. 
Amen to that. Ooh. All right. And Matt Fry, I hope you come to Christ because it's a good attitude to have, right? That's what I would say. You got to come to Christ, the real gospel, leave the false gospel behind. Only Jesus Christ pays for your sins, nothing else. The Roman Catholic Church is not historically true. It deviated from the Christian tradition. Um, of course, every church has its flaws. So Protestant church has many flaws. There's many different flavors of Protestant churches that I would not hold to either. But the Roman Catholic Church, by by dogma and by its many different expressions throughout the world, is wrong on all accounts or, or on all gospel accounts. So I, I have no doubt. Did that there are people... check in with the with the Word of God? Wow. Yeah, I know. Huh? Oh, Considering it the Word of God, huh? Sola Scriptura feeling there, huh? Obviously, Catholics respect the Bible, but like I respect a Roman Catholic in that they don't only buy the things of the Bible, they also buy whatever the Pope is selling on the given day. People engaging in sinful activity right now, and if you were to say to them, well, do you think God approves of that? They would say, yes, I feel completely fully alive. And it was only ever since I embraced this way of acting that I've experienced God's love. And I think the Christian is right to say, well, you're wrong. Like, you're wrong mm -hmm. to be happy, and, and and thinking that you're growing closer to God by performing this action is is deceptive and maybe inspired by Satan, uh, and you need to repent nonetheless. So I, I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm acknowledging what you're saying. I think that, that yeah. can be a helpful sort of subjective tool, but at the same time, you have to submit everything to God's word. And I'm sure you would agree yeah. with that. So let me, yeah, let me uh, just make a quick clarification. So by saying that, I was not saying that, you know, your conscience or, or submitting yourself to God or, or really reflecting on whether or not something, some behavior that you're doing is bringing you closer or further away from God. I'm not saying that that is like an infallible, you know, guide to whatever is, is true about morality. Like that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in, in a lot of cases, we should be able to recognize whether or not. It's just, uh, he's, I understand where he's getting from. I think Cameron, probably if he does have the Holy Spirit, that he's relying on the Holy Spirit that other people don't have. And so you're, you're hurting the pagan, you're hurting the, the unbeliever, you're hurting even just the deceived believer who's quenching the spirit when you tell them to only rely on the spirit's inkling because often the enemy fills the place of the spirit. When somebody's quenching the spirit, or they don't have it. Something is bringing us closer or, or further away from God. And I think it's in the cases where we think that something is okay when it's not, is probably got to do with, with some, you know, people people are deceive themselves all the time. And so this is not an infallible guide because people can deceive themselves. But it, nevertheless, I think if you're being very honest, and, uh, and you're not trying to deceive yourself, then you're going to know. Uh, we've said enough. So, but but it, it, to, to say all that, it's not an infallible guide, and I agree that we've got to also look at what Scripture has to say about it. Also. So, but I, it's like, it's something that you, so th this is this is an action that you can perform apart from the Bible, apart from theology, and apart from engaging in Scripture, and what the correct interpretation is, and uh, inerrancy, and all these these different things. Uh, this is something that you can do completely apart from that, and I'm, I'm also saying that from my own personal experience because I deal with things that aren't necessarily talked about in the Bible, uh, which I'm sure that a lot of us deal with as well. There's a quote in the Bible that says, stay away from fame philosophy. And the problem I have with Catholic Christianity in general, so it's not just this, because the Catholic thing really bothers me is why I'm responding to it, but other videos of his are, that don't have to do with Catholics at all um, have that same tone and inspiring philosophy and many other high-minded positions. These are just two of the popular ones on YouTube right now. They have the same problem is that they vainly philosophize about things that they they don't know. And so they, they get obsessed with things they don't know and can't know. And I would assume are wrong on most points on things they, they leave the Bible for. So the obsession and the desire to go away from Scripture and to figure out things and, and to dwell on things that are away from Scripture um, is the folly of these kind of channels. And it doesn't mean that they're non-Christians. I don't know Cameron's state. Uh, I pray that he's saved, right? But that that kind of attitude where you want to make all these inferences based off your own beliefs and navel gazing is is just that it's navel gazing it's you're going to come up with beliefs that are completely false and if you make them override scripture um, or just you don't know scripture well enough to know that they're overriding scripture you are in serious doo-doo well we have we've all got different things that we deal with and so uh, when it comes to some, some, something like smoking you know smoking is not forbid, forbidden in the bible yet if you you know if, if when you're engaging in this activity if it's bringing you further away from god then that's something to consider you know and, and it's also a matter of uh, not you know something that's sinful for one person may not be sinful for another so i think that there's just a, a lot of complexity here and, and this is one thing that can sort of help bring you closer to god 
is uh, is reflecting on whether or not it is bringing you closer or bringing you further away. And a lot of times we don't even think about that. We just sort of do what we want to do and we don't reflect on whether or not something is, is beneficial or harmful. I just want to note, these are all different nuances, but the debate between if somebody thinks something is sin and then does it, um, I believe it's a sin, but the activity is not a sin. So the doing of it is not a sin. It's the heart condition. And says, I'm going to rebel against God, even if it's not actually rebelling against God. Wanting to rebel against God is rebelling against God, and that's why it's a sin. So if um, smoking for somebody uh, causes them to be gluttonous or drunkardly or whatever the, the thing might be, um, then they, the drunkenness and the gluttony, those are the things that are sin, not the smoking. So if the smoking causes that. The smoking causes that person to sin when it might not somebody else, but everybody is actually free to smoke because smoking is not the sin. It's just for some people, smoking is going to tempt them to sin in other areas. So there are not some things that are sins for some and not for others. That's a false statement. But I understand where it's coming from. So I think that's that's what I want to say about that. Uh, here's one yeah. last comment. Unless you wanted to, to respond, I've got one, no, no, that was, one last that comment. Sense. Let's, yeah, okay. let's do maybe one last comment. Yeah. <laughs> Point away from Matt Fred that he was like, yeah, that makes sense. It's doesn't make sense. I mean, it, I suppose it makes sense, but I disagree with it. And maybe Matt says the same thing. Uh, and this is just a comment. So Joseph Green says, love how you guys have different opinions and still love and respect each other. I thought that was a nice comment well, that we can use to- Well, I, I wish I could be like that all the time. Like, it's funny because we all do this. It's like it's like the social media equivalent of dunking on somebody. You know, somebody says something, they don't say it perfectly. They don't say it with as much nuance as they could have. And then you just slam them. And I, I fall into that. And I, I'm sorry that I do it. And I don't want to do it. And but the, just what we just did there, Cameron, would be an example of that, right? Like you said something and I wanted to push back, but I think it's really important that we, we agree with what we can. Like, okay, I, I see this much. Here's how I disagree. But I don't think you'd, I think you would also agree with how I'm pushing back and then you respond. I mean, this is a much more tiring way of talking. <laughs> it's not as it's not as uh, exciting. It doesn't give us that immediate rush when you can just be like, heretic. Um, but it's it's a way- Heretic, ah, oh, I love it. I understand where he's coming from. I and mean, there's a lot of devices out there. Obviously, we're contributing to that kind of devisiveness. But the problem is there are way, it's way too tempting, I think. Uh, men are often tempted for divisiveness. So I'm not saying that that's not a temptation on one side. But there are many men, especially in the age of women that we're in today, um, that want to want to do exactly what these two men are doing and that is just just get along to get along and the problem is there are real dangers out there there is reason for division from heretics right so i wouldn't want to be just willy-nilly calling everybody heretic oh john piper's a heretic and oh Doug wilson's a heretic and oh you know whoever you know name anybody that disagrees with me one thing i'm a heretic I would disagree with that kind of divisiveness, but we, we do need to use divisiveness in some places. So he is using a real concern to mask a real problem and danger of the Catholic Church. And that is to say that divisiveness from the Mormon Church is right. Divisiveness from the Catholic Church is right. So I love and respect these men as fellow images of Christ. I want them both to be saved. I want Matt Frad and all Catholics to be saved. But I don't respect their positions as proper good positions. So I hear them out. And in that way, I guess I'm polite. If that's what respectful means, I'm polite to hear them out. But um, it doesn't mean I respect them as positions like, oh, that's a good point. It might not be a good point, right? And you don't have to respect non-good points. You can be polite about it, but you don't have to respect the position. And that's where I think this kind of comment, in one sense, you could say, yes, you should love and respect everyone, as in you should be polite and, and love them. But even then, Jesus was not polite in senses to people who were dangerous to the church, dangerous to the mission. And so we also should not be polite to some enemies. Some enemies we should be, and obviously we should love our enemies, as Jesus says, but loving doesn't necessarily mean respecting. Right. And I would say by pretending that there are no differences so we can actually get along well, mm -hmm. you know, saying that we're the same, that's actually disrespecting your, the other side because you're pretty much just completely ignoring their position so i would say it's your you don't have you can debate without stabbing each other you know, like during the, the middle ages and whatnot but or burning people you can do that you know it's fine 
not, not burn one another. But I think it is the proper respectful thing to do is to actively listen and engage the other side and seek after truth because that's what I think I would hope that's what we're all after, right? We're we're seeking we're seeking truth and we have found our truth in Christ, as we call other people to repentance and to life in Christ. Yeah. I mean he calls dunking on each other, right? Is is just a strong disagreement and he wants to give mild disagreements on everything. And mild disagreements are hard to say that was out of character. Oh, I don't like the tone on that one because it's all mild, right? But strong opinions actually change hearts. Whereas meek um, little opinions, although we're called to meekness in many things, I don't think we'll be called, we're not called to be lukewarm. And lukewarm versus hot or cold is an evil position to have. It's a cowardly position to have. So as much as we should be meek, we shouldn't be um, lukewarm. We should be either hot or cold. And again, that's why you said we found our cause in the very Lord Jesus Christ. There's there's nothing after this, by the way, so we're just going to cut it here. Thanks for listening. We've been Deep Found Cause. I've been Michael Day behind the machine into my virtual front first has been... Theodore, under the PC, person of Christ. And virtually to his right has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thanks for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, especially ones that have to do with universalism, Catholicism, whatever, you can go see the rest of our episodes at foundcause.podbean.com. You can download them all for your audio listening pleasure. But if you want to see our videos and our beautiful faces and this weird amalgam, our tiny little faces here, especially on this episode, you can go to youtube.com and search us there at foundcause, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash foundcause. And you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you might listen to your podcast. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Yeah,